I'm Charlie Taylor. I've been kind of run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. I direct to the fifth element, highlight the fifth element hip hop, which is knowledge. Just cause the dancers go, go. That don't make her a hoe, no. Maxine, get your red shoes on, huh? We're going to the disco. We're gonna elo to Mexico. Call up my mama till I'm in love with the stripper, yo. Ten grand. Oh <laughs> uh, gosh, many a road trip where, for some reason, my pops was blasting "Perfect Gentleman," and it was a funny day—a funny day where I actually read the lyrics and realised what that track was about. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> yeah, they're always the fun ones, aren't they? When you grow up and you read lyrics. Oh, it's the best. Ooh. Okay. It's the best. The best. Oh god! Imagine just like—I mean, you can imagine like all the tracks just like from—I don't know—all like the, especially the pop tracks from like the eighties, where everything was just sexual when you went. And so from like Copacabana was just like super sus, and you're just like, hang on a minute. Um, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi Ben. How's your week been? with PS2 this week? Well, I'm pretty excited for this episode. You know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the fact that <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just I'm very interested. I'm very interested to to see where this episode goes. I'm very fascinated about it. Um, this week I didn't listen to much music. Ketramini, uh, which is uh, Ketranada and Amine. Ketramine, I assume. I'm Ketramine, Mini, Ketramine. Uh, it's good, man. It's, it's it's a bop. It's a real bop. Obviously, we've we've spoken about Ketranada on this pod before, and we love him. Um, incredible incredible electronic producer and uh you know he was a big he really wanted to work with hip-hop artists early in his career that was a massive part of his journey and his his goals and uh it was actually amine who reached out to Ketranada. there's he sent a d like floated a dm around recently from 2014 where he was telling Ketranada he would love to work with him and it's happened man it's 2023 and it's nine years later and it's happened and Amine is very, very adaptable MC. He's a very adaptable. Sometimes I feel like he hasn't got the strongest voice and the strongest sound. So when I hear him, I'm like, is it really Amine? Because he's just on all sorts of different production. It's kind of like IDK is similar in that sense. IDK is just hopping in. IDK already did his work with, with Keitronata. So um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to see where Keitronata goes next as a producer because this is kind of a bridge between his two worlds where, you know, obviously he, he kind of blew up doing those those remixes, those crazy remixes, and it wasn't necessarily where his heart lie and it wasn't necessarily what he wanted to do. He, he wanted to move more into hip-hop, but that was where the money was and that's where the opportunities were. It'll be interesting to see if he starts to progress further into the hip-hop realm or if he recognizes that he has a unique selling point when he's selling these beats to MCs and uh, he stays in that lane. So uh, it was good, man. It's, it's, it's a solid project. I listened to it in the car. It's a bop. It's a good bop. Um, I also listened to Belly's new project, Mumble Rap 2. 
Yeah, it's good. Uh, Belly is a very interesting MC. I'm always interested to hear what he has to say. Just, he never sounds bad on a song, never sounds poor on a song, keeps time all the time. Uh, there's a lot of, yeah, just a lot of good stuff on this project. I really enjoyed it. I've listened to it like five or six times in a row. I couldn't stop listening to it. It's kind of addictive, to be honest. But yeah, it's, it's super solid. Um, highly recommend but that was me, Charlie. About yourself, I cut you off, cut off very, very quickly there, and listened to two projects this week. <laughs> Poor Charlie's trying to eat his dinner. He's like, I've been over listened to like twenty projects this week, and I'm just padding it out. Like, oh yeah, the Belly album's good. There's good music on it, and it's very good. And I think you'll <laughs> like it because it's very good. Now, Charlie. <laughs> oh God. Jesus Christ! It so this like. If you said the number, would have like you know headed it up, but I just assumed you just had at least no. like five going My on. My fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, outstanding. Okay, all right, I'm good now. I'm sorted. Thank, right. uh, thanks for waiting. <laughs> right, let's get to this. Um, we're going to plenty, uh, plenty of stuff uh, for both of us apparently. Um, yeah, thank you. A few EPs. Uh, where did we start with? Uh, right, Torah I. And what else? Um, kind of one of those um, artists that I just um, blindly followed um, just on whatever platform I was on. And whenever a project just comes through, give it a spin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is pretty solid. Uh, pretty pretty decent record. Um, just going to try and get the details up as I talk. But um, yeah, um, she has this um, kind of just like, um, you know, just like a neo R&B kind of thing on her. Um, so I'm definitely... Uh, definitely here for that as I try and swipe through everything else. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, so, uh, Hip Dips, uh, 10 months, very interesting tracks, uh, very interesting overall. Um, yeah, I feel like, you, you know, the stuff like Green Tea Peng, that kind of thing going on. If you like that kind of vibe, definitely go for this. Uh, Madison McFerrin, I uh, hope you can forgive me. Um, I'm assuming some relation to Bobby McFerrin, especially since... Bobby McFerrin actually features on one of these tracks, um, but I don't want to assume. Um, but yeah, um, she has this really eclectic mix. Um, soul, R&B, a little bit of electronica in there. And um, yeah, it's, um, she's, yeah it's, I, I can't, I can't, eclectic mix is just one of those uh, phrases that works for me when it comes to uh, some, some artists like, uh, such as Madison McFerrin. Because, yeah, it's just an amalgamation of stuff going on. And, uh, you know, you get some good vocal passages. You get some good um, you get some good bops here and there. You get some slow jams. Um, yeah, it's just a really, really nice mix. I'm, I'm here for it. It's a really good uh, piece of work. Um, it's, only, it's only 10 tracks. Um, about 26 minutes. So in that glorious grey area range of is it an EP or an album? Gotta love it. Uh, but anyway, shout out to Mary Uh Apex Zero, Friend of 5e, Apex Zero, with Drummer Warrior Storyteller Part 2. Um, I've actually heard, I'm a, I think, a, at least a couple of these tracks. There's only four. Um, I've at least heard, I think, two of them. Uh, I may have may have heard, uh, I mean, Seventh Dimension was this kind of like a single of this anyway, so there's that too. Um, but I remember listening to Live Life uh, when I went to basically his whole... Uh, you know, one big exhibition uh, slash performance thing going on uh, at Rich Mix in London, Shoreditch, uh, last year. And it was very, just very interesting experience overall, just uh, being there 
Um, I think I talked about it before, but um, yeah, this this project's um, on obviously part two to the drama warrior to- story drama warrior storyteller series that he has, and um, yeah, it's building up to be an interesting series, especially when you listen to all eight tracks and uh, they have these brackets of on gratitude, which pure being brackets on gratitude, which is kind of just like a spoken word thing going on. Uh, Seventh Dimension with Musa Dembele, really interesting track. Really love that. Uh, you brackets on love and live life on liberty and um, yeah it's just the topics he broaches is um, very widespread and very existential um, and I'm here for it I'm here for I'm here for that um, it's definitely a really good project shout out to Apex Zero uh, Rael spelled R-A-E-L-L-E uh, Bloodlines another pure just um, R&B uh, Louis P here um very her voice is very just um got this power to it but not in terms of like you know uh <coughs> of like you know Whitney Houston vocal chops you know what I mean where she's just like keeping a note or anything like that but just a really just just aesthetically I guess in terms of what you when you're listening to it she just sounds powerful and uh I'm here for that it's, it's, it's very interesting um she has very interesting dynamics to to her to her and her music. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Listen, uh, Ashley Henry, my voice, um, one of the best uh, UK jazz musicians out there right now. Um, but also has a decent voice as as well. He does some singing on here, and uh, you know, kind of dips in between R and B and jazz. Kind of uh, toes that line, makes a bridge between the two, and along with his vocals um, and obviously his piano skills. Uh, everything is just top tier. Uh, Production is top tier. His vocals are clean. Um, it's a really, really good EP. High quality, um, definitely. If you're into that kind of vibe of uh, of uh, R and B jazz, <laughs> which is kind of a rare mix. I'm now I'm thinking about it. Uh, Khan and D Ace, uh, Ignorance is Bliss, uh, Death Taxes, and Khan drop in. Of course, he drops at least once a year. And um, yeah, I really like this. I really like this one. Um, D Ace, I've haven't heard his production before, um, but I'm really I really enjoyed the, his uh, this particular offering, um, and yeah, Khan comes through with some uh, just a great uh, mixture of uh, of a, a subject matter and also just a tone and speed and always just kind of flexing his skills in in any possible way, um, and within the production he's given as well. Um, so really good stuff here, really good stuff all over the spot. Uh, so 15 tracks, about 37 minutes, uh, 42 minutes. So uh, yeah, definitely a solid listen. Katramine, um, I d- I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm I get it, right? Summer vibes. We love some Katramine up in here. I don't know, man. I just don't really find Amine that gravitating um, when I'm listening to him. I feel like the subject matter was a bit samey uh, here. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I like the production, of course. It's Kate, it's Kate Trinata, Can't really miss on that front. Um, you know, nobody nobody does it like him in terms of mixing that. You know, just a uh, dance electronic, but also have some hip hop in there as well. And um, you know, I don't mind Amine from a kind of in in certain aspects. Um, but yeah, I just um, I just I, I don't really gravitate towards the lyrics at all. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a bit um, I don't know. AI generated, I guess. I don't know. It's just like here's a subject. Talk about do some do some few bars for this. I'm like, okay, cool. And yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, whatever. 
Um, features are okay, actually. Um, Freddie Gibbs, Snoop Dogg on here as well. Decent features, so I can't complain about that. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's calm. It's cool. If people, if uh, I mean, there's going to be people that like it, and obviously the story behind it is very interesting. And um, yeah, I feel like a lot of people definitely gravitate towards just that, you know, the manifestation element of it. Um, but yeah, just as a pure listen, it's it's fine. It passes. It's it's a I'll give it a C if I, you know, if I mean if I'm grading and stuff. Um, and lastly, um, a change in pace. Summer Walker clear to soft life EP. I only listened to this because I saw tweets that were going the people where people were saying that this was kind kind of uh, back to her uh, back to her pre over it years, which I was I was a fan of. I was a fan of like Summer Walker's older work. Um, stuff like CPR in that era. Um, so when people were saying this ain't over it, this ain't that kind of stuff going on, I'm like, okay, let's have a look. Let's give it a spin. It's only an EP. Why not? You know what I mean? It's not like it's, I'm listening to a whole album. It's only going to be you know, half an hour of my time. I'm not going to complain about that. Um, but yeah, J. Cole um, on, that, uh, on that first feature, on the first track, really good, really high quality. Interesting Challenge Gambino feature um, where he just has this really deep voice going on. So uh, it's intriguing. It's intriguing. I don't mind. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. Um. I'm not hanging on it. Excuse me. Not hanging on it. Um. But yeah. Uh. Overall, I just yeah. It's, it's kind of back to the roots kind of thing. It has this. Um. She kind of goes off this. Uh. You know, kind of Erica Bardu blueprint. Um. With that neo soul R and B vibe going on. And uh. Yeah. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I've always respected some of Walker from a. Um, especially from a subject matter perspective, I feel like uh, she, and this, you know, with the last track, which is kind of just her talking um, about just relationship shit, um, you know, it's interesting her uh, how she uh, vocalizes it uh, through her music, um, and uh, you know, I've always respected that. So um, yeah, solid DP, solid shout to Sam Walker. And with that said, we shall get into our topic of this episode, uh, which is the. Uh, Ever producing um, the only Fuji member that's actually <laughs> that actually doesn't have an issue uh, with dropping music, uh, Wyclef Jean. Uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, Wyclef. Nine albums of uh, <laughs> of just uh, a lot of globe trotting and uh, a lot of just trying shit out and uh, yeah, very very intriguing from a from a music perspective. Uh, so yeah, with that said, Ben, what have you got for us? Definitely one of the more consistent discographies or more surprising discographies that I've listened to on these retrospectives. Uh, I've obviously listened to the Carnival many times, but um, yeah, everything after that, I, I fucking had a blast listening to this. So Wyclef is a very fascinating artist to tie our pretty elongated Fujis because uh, I don't know how we've he's been doing it over like four years. But, like, he's kind of the missing piece in the Fuji's. He was the perfect person to hold the center. His production was on par with Praz. Vocal was about as close as you could come to Lauren Hill. He blended, in my view, the best aspect of each other member of the group. And he could easily be seen as the most versatile hip-hop artist, definitely in the group and one of the most versatile in history. There's a great clip of him. Uh, he's on Drink Champs, and they're talking about Wild Thoughts with uh, Rihanna and Bryson Tiller off the DJ Khaled album. And he just grabs his guitar and just starts playing the riff and explains where the Wu-Tang influence in that riff comes from. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, he's, he's a prodigy. You know, he's an incredible, incredible artist. 
And, you know, his production is absolutely top tier. He produced almost the entirety of his own classic debut album. And since then, he's amassed a staggering list of production credits. Destiny's Child, Whitney Houston, Shakira, Santana, Lionel Richie, Mary J. Blige, Cypress Hill, Gucci Mane. His desire to experiment and push production boundaries became super apparent in his solo career. He regularly mashed up two totally discordant but instantly recognizable songs and turned them into hip-hop beats. And his ear for a sample, I think, is wholly unique in the hip-hop game. I don't think anyone does it like him. But he could rap, he could sing, he could craft a hook just as well as anyone in music. And I think his debut album is proof of that. And he's also a great artist to speak about two weeks after our Right Wing podcast because, you know, Wyclef is politically passionate and vocal, even leading to him running for president in Haiti in 2010. So... His early life seemed to fuel his desire to deliver positive message to as many people as possible. He was born in Haiti in 1969. His parents actually left him there and they moved to the US when Wyclef was very young. He told Vlad that he didn't even know who his mum and dad were until he moved to the US to live with them when he was 10. So in that interview, he also stresses that it was normal for parents to move to the US and set up a life before bringing the rest of the family with them. Now, Wyclef then used hip-hop as a way to learn English, falling in love with the music and incorporating it into his own creations after his father actually bought Wyclef and his siblings toy instruments, and Wyclef naturally just taught himself to play them perfectly, like flawlessly. And this is where that legendary prize story ties in, because Wyclef was in strong disagreement with his father, who believed that pursuing a music in, in a career in music, sorry, it, it wasn't a career at all. You know, he his father didn't believe that that was a, a a way to make money or a way to live and exist in the world. So Wyclef just became self-taught entirely. He ended up playing for his family-run church as well as in numerous bands and events. And he was firmly established as a very, very, very good multi-instrumentalist. And that's when Pryaz decided to offer up a collaboration by playing the trumpet for Wyclef and didn't have the intended reaction. You know, Wyclef was highly critical of Pryaz's trumpet exploits and the collaboration didn't happen. Instead, Wyclef graduated from his high school and enrolled in college in New York. And his father was becoming pivotal in his music career early for the wrong reason. Wyclef spoke at length to NPR back in 2012. And I'm not saying this to criticize his father, but this is just, you know, this is the the environment that Wyclef grew up in musically. Um, he explains why his father to NPR became such a strong roadblock. He says, when I came from Haiti, my dad brought us to Marlboro Projects in Brooklyn. He clearly had a plan for the kids. By design, he was setting up the church band, which we would later become. And so at a very young age, we were in the church singing Caribbean gospel. So he clearly had a plan, theology school. He had a plan. And like I told you, my other brother's a lawyer, so a great debater in high school and everything. So my dad had this plan. Um, So to explain to my father that I wanted to be a rap star was the most taboo. He didn't get that. When Even when he was young in the project, he called it drug dealer music. Now my son wants to do drug dealer music and he was like, hip hop, what's this stuff? It is drug dealer music, no. So his father was just straight up dead against it and he would never actually attend a Fuji show according to this interview and he only saw his son perform live once uh, which was at Carnegie Hall and Wyclef told the NPR interviewer after the show he was desperate to finally get acceptance from his father and his father said to this, this to him, he said, um, you know, do you know when you've made it in this country? And I said, no, when? And he said, when white people, black people, everyone, they all come to see you, but they don't see the color, they see the man. And when he said that, 
you know, that was his way of telling me that you've made it. So, you know, why the interviewer then asks Wyclef if he cried. And he said, no, I felt strong. I cried when he died like a baby for days because I still wanted to tell him. Sorry, I still wanted him to tell me he loved me. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very intense part of the interview and it really highlights the fact that Wyclef didn't have the most conducive to hip-hop uh, and, and we've had this many, many times on the podcast, especially from uh, rappers who come from religious households. Hip-hop was not seen as not only just not a viable career, but as something that was like actively against Christianity or something that just wasn't acceptable to pursue. So, you know, the early resistance that his father put up to his career kind of developed into a lifelong battle with the thought that his dad didn't accept his music career, which is incredibly challenging. But Wycliffe pursued it, regardless of his father's position, he began rapping under the name Nelly Nell, um, which kind of sounds like Melly Mel, obviously, Nelly Nell. He began to battle people at school, and his reputation became so fearsome that kids from rival schools would actually sneak into the cafeteria just to battle Nelly Nell. He told NPR his rivals never stood a chance since he could rap fluently in English and Spanish. If his English bars weren't cutting it, he'd just switch straight to Spanish, and everyone would just lose their minds. It was just unbeatable. So he was splitting his creative energy now between his burgeoning rap reputation and his far more steady instrumental work with local bands and his father's church. He told Vibe magazine that whilst inside the church, his father was preaching from the book of Revelation, but outside the church, you know, crime was happening, drug dealing was happening. It was happening right, he, he actually literally said right on the doorstep of the church. And his unique perspective on Fuji's albums and his solo work was partly built here, mashing up gospel and rock and watching the dealing that was happening right on his doorstep. You can like literally see his content creating itself while he was in this church. By the time Praz came calling with Lauren Hill in tow, Wyclef had fully formed his artistic presence. His production would be inspired by live instrumentation and a gift for pairing divergent sounds to create something new, and his rapping would be informed by years of battling anyone and everyone as a teenager. So he actually told NPR by the age of 16 he could play the upright bass, he was reading sheet music as fast as anyone, he was a leader of the school's jazz band, and whilst he was under his father's watchful eye, his forays into hip-hop could only be pursued under the radar. And this was when Praz first attempted to to reach Wyclef. And I always wonder about this because, you know, we've always talked about Praz trying to play trumpet for Wyclef and Wyclef being like, you suck at trumpet. Like, you know, this isn't happening. I do wonder if Wyclef had reached out to him on a hip-hop level, you know, that early. I reckon Wyclef would have come straight over. I just don't think he was super passionate about playing in the jazz band and, and playing at the church. Um, so on the rap side of it, at the age of 15, his buzz became so fierce that he actually met Curtis Blow, who was very impressed by him. He even appeared as an extra in the video Don't Sweat the Technique by Eric B and Rakim, and this continued to fuel his push towards hip-hop. He was actually signed before the Fugees. He was signed as a solo act by Big Beats Records under Craig Coleman, and he was asked to be a ghostwriter on the Eurodance track titled Out of the Jungle. So Wyclef was singing on Wax before the Fugees. It's, it's out there. It exists. He told Vlad he wrote the song in 15 minutes, got paid, went home, and they ended up using his actual vocals on the song because of how well he sung it. He was meant to be a ghostwriter. So from an early age, both Praz and Wyclef were consuming this vast array of music far outside the reaches of hip-hop. And their criticism of their debut album was handed down and they were called kind of simply more of the same. And, and, you know, there was criticism just saying that they just sounded like everyone else at the time. They brought some of the most vibrant and diverse musical mashups on the score. 
and created a masterpiece that spans multiple major genres. And that was a huge part of Wyclef. You know, he explained the difference in the score and, and why it resonated with so many people across so many different countries. And, you know, I, th- I think this is a really important part of Wyclef. He talks about the emotion. You know, he says that the reason why people connect to the score so much is because that emotion was always behind it. You know, everything was emo- emotive and emotional. Um, and you know that that's a huge part of Wyclef's solo career as he as he progressed. Um, and obviously, they get into kind of the turmoil between Wyclef and Lauren. I mean, I guess they kind of have to in the interview. Again, I'm not going to talk about it here. Um, you all know the story. Like it, we've we've probably talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast. I don't think we need to talk about it again. If you want to listen to it. I guess go back to our Fuji's episode, and we've probably talked about it in 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 depth there and at length. Um, so yeah, man, that's kind of where we got to um, when we get to the first album. It's, it's it's a very fascinating backstory from Wyclef. It's you know it's it's one of the most obvious ones. Now that I like read it and watch it and have listened to his discography, I'm like, oh, now I can see exactly where all these sounds came from and exactly where this artistic presence began. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think something that uh, you gain when you listen to not just a carnival, which we'll obviously get into in a second, is that he clearly has an appetite just for listening, basically. And uh, in some way, in some in some cases, it comes across really really well in terms of you know incorporating different sounds into whatever you know. Uh, whatever uh pot of stew he wants to make musically um but yeah you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but um, yeah uh the carnival um <laughs> i mean yeah reggae hip-hop disco a little bit soul haitian like just ton of shit in there there's so much there's so much shit in, here. <laughs> in terms of sound this uh is is very interesting uh, you know, Guantanamera, Guantanamera. <laughs> the funny thing is, I keep thinking that it's just like a football child. <laughs> yeah, you know what's wild about that song? So there's this um, there's a car brand in Australia called Holden, and they had this Ute. They called it the Rodeo, and they used that riff. They you know, and they called it the One Ton Rodeo. So you're just hearing One Ton Rodeo. It's a one-ton rodeo. So every time I hear that Wyclef song, I've got that <laughs> stupid jingle stuck in my head. I'm like, no, we're listening to Wyclef now. We're not listening to a fucking stupid jingle. Uh. Uh, um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's that's obviously just a fun, a fun track to spin. Um, all the tracks uh, with, that involve Lauren just goes hard. Oh, yeah. Gunpowder. Yeah. Uh, uh, where's the other one? Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, Saint Fezzi, uh, Year of the Dragon, especially Year of the Dragon. Yeah. That was hard. She's, she skated on Tough that. Tough track. Skirt, skirt is on that. Um, and yeah, uh, it's just a ton of, it's just a ton of, uh, amalgamation of, of, uh, of sounds. Uh, you know, uh, I got Salam Remy just, uh, coming through with Bubble Goose, uh, production as well. Yeah, Bubble Goose. Um, all of the rest is, Great song. and, uh, on I think one more track yeah literally one track uh, we're trying to stay alive which is a good track as it is um, and yeah the rest of it is uh, Wycliffe and uh, it's very interesting because um, 
after this uh, is going to become a a, a Wyclef, uh Jerry Wonder uh, kind of tip for majority of the time. But this one just seems to be just uh, all, well, majority Wyclef. And it's not until like uh, the last couple albums where Jerry's uh, Jerry's not involved in any way. So it's gonna, it's it's interesting uh, thinking about this. So, oh, oh, I just saw Funkmaster Flex did some scratching apparently. Who knew? Uh, Rita Marley did background vocals. Fascinating. Did not know that. Very fascinating. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, there's actually some times where I think it was on this album or maybe Eclectic. I forget which where. He d- when he when he goes down a roots reggae tip, he tries his best Bob Marley impression. And it's very interesting how he does it. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, yeah, man, it's it's a it's borderline. Is it a classic? Yeah. I, d- I don't know. It's a classic. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I mean, it won a couple of won a couple of Grammys. So, or well, two nominations of Grammys. Sorry. Um, but you know, uh, past that, yeah, it's a, it's a good album, man. It's a good album. It's a, it's it's always um, interesting. Um, going into thinking about '97, and I can't imagine anybody doing this. <laughs> and this is so, this is so Wycliffe. It's just uh, this, and that's kind of the that's kind of the overall notion. Is just uh, Wycliffe sonically is very unique, and obviously the background helps a lot with the Haitian background and just the thirst uh, for just um, listening to other music, I guess. But um, yeah, man, it's just uh, nobody, nobody but Wycliffe could have done this. So it's uh, it's uniquely Wycliffe. Yeah, no, it's a classic. Ninety-seven blows blows the fuck up. Number sixteen on Billboard two hundred fifty-two k first week. Uh, it actually spent a sixty-seven weeks on the chart, which is more than double his next best. Uh, six singles, including the epic hit "Gone Till November," which charted number seven on the Hot one hundred. Obviously, Lauren pops up multiple times on here. You know, by this stage, Wyclef was a master of the guitar and he drops a healthy helping of it all over this album and every album into the future that he drops. The subject matter is interesting. Wyclef is quoted as saying that the carnival and miseducation are what was left after that their star went supernova. Um, he told NPR, the trust was broken, there was a bond and there's muses that we have in our life. If we're lucky, we get a chance to be around a muse that will inspire you and make you feel a certain way. And we talk of betrayal and me finding out that, which is all over the internet, Wyclef thought Lauren Hill's first baby was his. Yes, but looking back at it, I had a woman, right? So my arrogance, right? Like my Caesar complex, my African king, I can have five, six women at a time and then being a rock star, I'm just saying at the time, these are all the components that lead you blind to think you own the world and then karma strikes. So obviously Wyclef's confidence on the carnival is palpable. He's menacing, he's vital. He creates wild fusions with the Bee Gees, the animals, the police, Earth, Wind and Fire, Isaac Hayes, Slick Rick, Bob Marley. He told an interviewer in the year 2000 that critics savaged him for his Bee Gees sample, but he never stopped. And you know, he would double down on it late in later albums. He just did not care. He did the exact opposite of the criticism. He was like, you know what? let's do Stairway to Heaven. Like, you know, like, fuck that. So this is hugely important part of Wyclef's story. And when he's always at pains to get across during interviews, Wyclef was a producer first, you know, and when the Fugees fell apart, he told Vlad that his focus was actually far more on his production than his rapping and singing. He actually told Hip Hop DX about the carnival on its 25th anniversary. He says, 
people have to understand my DNA. Maybe it would have been pressure if I approached it from the point of view of an artist. I didn't come into the music business in my mindset as an artist. I came in as a composer. I wanted to be like Gershwin, like Quincy Jones. I was watching what those guys were doing. So what that means was I'm constantly in the studio recording. It wasn't no pressure because it wasn't like, oh, I had to come up with music. It was literally like we were touring and while I was touring, I was working on the carnival. Then I got back to New York, kept working on it. It just felt like a body of work. I didn't know where it was going to land. You know, we look back on the carnival now, it seems like the perfect debut album from Wyclef. You know, it touches on every aspect of his artistry up to that point. And even more than that, it showcases his diversity and his talent as a musician. You know, he sings, he raps, he plays instruments, he fuses genres, he brings in his own version of spirituality and emotion. It's a very potent album and it comes from a, a very pure place. Um, you know, he talked about it to Hip Hop DX. He says, uh, when a group gets super successful, when the label says, give us another one like that, and the Fugees are very unorthodox to that shit. I was like, no, I got an idea. It's this album, it's in four languages. It has disco, it has country, etc." They're like, man, what kind of mushrooms is this motherfucker on? It was so far from the norm of what was considered hip hop at the time. So that's what, you know, and that's a huge part of this album. It's a huge part of Wyclef. Just fusing genres is like a massive part of his career. And, you know, this is kind of like the modern, uh, the, the, the older version of the modern major label album. You know, the, it's funny that the major labels were criticizing him and saying, where is this going to get played? That's literally what they were saying. Where, What radio stations are going to play this? Because it's too all over the place. Nowadays, we see artists literally doing this on purpose, creating you know, five or six different genres so that they can just be on all the different playlists. And Wyclef saw it that way. He's like, we'll just be on all the different radio stations. You know, why, why would we have to be limited to one? You know, and I find that really fascinating. And yeah, man, the album is an absolute classic. To get Lauren on this album, you know, we spoke about the score being kind of like a Fleetwood Mac album. This one is the one that's like a Fleetwood Mac album because like, he's just on here just like admitting to everything he's done on this album that's just the whole point of some of these tracks on here and just lauren's just popping up on here it was i think together on this album that's the best they ever sounded i think they actually sound better on this album together than they did on the score just i guess because you know the history and you know everything that was about to happen and yeah no it's a brilliant i, I adore this album man i i really really do <clears throat> yeah i remember i um uh, I think I saw a review for it um, saying exactly what you said, that it kind of sounds better than the score in, in some ways. Um, yeah, debatable, but um, yeah, it's good nevertheless. Uh, now for the better album, Eclectic. Two sides to it, but... Um, <laughs> this is one of those albums that just popped off in the UK for no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny I fucking... love it when that happens oh it's just so great so fucking good yeah so uh, no surprise it was number 5 uh, top 5 in the UK uh, at, at peak um, and uh, yeah it was just a, was, it's just a really it's a fun album for me going back to listen to now that I've actually listened to it all not just Perfect Gentleman um, it's the and obviously the references you were making towards the amount of uh, sampling and just uh i guess you know semi covers that he does yeah, as well yeah. um they come in full force with these i mean kenny rogers and Ferran munch dub play 
Got that dun 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 going on. So good, uh, man. So fucking good. Whitney Houston with with Whitney Houston. There's only one one minute forty five, but that's just a good track as well. Um, and yeah, past that, obviously the goat. There is perfect gentleman. Um, but then you have uh, obviously nine one one with Mary J. Uh, that's a top one. Where Fuji's at is a very interesting track. Um, yeah. Kind of just that. Let's get it out of the way. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> and obviously the Columbia Records. Uh, you know, kind of. Uh, let's just say. Let's just say interlude is the uh, intro. Is just a. Uh, you know, basically just him getting on the phone, going like, "It's not happening. Like this is the, this is what I've got." Da, da, da. It's like, but we want Fuji's. Yeah. It's just, like, it's, <laughs> it, it makes itself known. But um, yeah, the fascinating thing about. Wyclef is just the. It, it's just ha- the further he goes, just the uh, well, especially numbers wise, the more features he gets, but also just the names that come up. Just yeah, got Whitney Houston on here, got Mary J. Yeah, it's got Earth, Wind and Fire. Just why not? Yeah, just 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 let's just throw in Earth, Wind and Fire on Runaway, and let's just make it just this smooth, just a smooth jam. Just so clean, so crispy. Um, <laughs> just in the middle of the album, just randomly. Um, Bus search and wish you were here. I uh, wish you were here. Obviously, the Pink Floyd kind of uh, cover again, and um, I like the. Uh, and obviously, there's the you know uh, cannabis uh, rem- uh, cannabis track as well. Um, but yeah, it's just a very. I don't want to say eclectic, just to be fun, just to be funny about it. But yeah, it's, it's it has this has again the just the the uh, the the mixes of sounds that he um, constantly tries to incorporate. Um, but I think just this one feels um, a lot more just cohesive. A listen for me compared to the carnival. Um, it's this it's kind of a toss up for me personally in terms of which one I prefer. Um, but I do feel like this one has some. Uh, some qualities about it that the carnival doesn't have, um, but then you can say on the other side that the carnival has some uh, something about it that uh, the eclectic the eclectic doesn't have. Um, but I just feel that this is probably a bit more cohesive and consistent um, from start to finish. They're both long as shit, um, which I don't. I'm not going to complain about um, for now. <laughs> I'm going to get there. Trust me. Um, had, had to can can be going to be a DRTD episode if Johnny ain't bitching about the length of an album. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's acceptable uh, when it comes to this one. Uh, but yeah, man, I just uh, I always find the just a smattering of covers and notable samples and just uh, and uh, the mixture of features that I've heard of and then features that I've never heard of eat as well. It's very fascinating. Uh, it's clear that just Wyclef has this. Um, D- doesn't really doesn't really care I guess about name recognition as long as you're decent you know what I mean and I'm here for that so yeah respect to that on that front yeah man I actually yeah I, I like it I like it a lot I think this just kind of bleeds into his mid-career you know I don't think this felt like he was trying to recreate the carnival it just kind of feels like he was trying to figure out and I don't ever think with Wyclef I don't think he was ever forced into anything I don't think he ever created music no. to chart or to do something specific you know and yeah i don't know how you commercialize Wycliffe. <laughs> no i mean he's, a, can't, can't he's a genius so he's like he's already commercial you know and then we get to masquerade um this is a wild album man it was it was reviewed pretty poorly 
by those who actually bothered. But it charted number six on the Billboard 200, <laughs> um, which is his highest to date. So his previous record, The Eclectic, went number nine. It sold 82K first week, very strong. Another global hit. It charted in 12 countries. Um, this was led in part by the lead single, Two Wrongs, which charted number five in Australia and number one in New Zealand, which is huge. He was massive over here, Wyclef. Like, he was absolutely huge over here. And the album name was inspired by the death of his father a year prior to a freak accident. His father was actually working on a car when it collapsed on him, and Wyclef struggled massively with the unexpectedness of the tragedy. He told the Irish Examiner, When I lost my father, I felt like life was a masquerade. So this album is the story of my life, from when I was in the projects in Brooklyn to me playing at Carnegie Hall in New York with my dad there. It made me realize that life really is short. You never know what's going to happen. Death is very simple and quick, but that's a masquerade to me. There's got to be something more to life than just death. The truth is what's on the other side. Death is just a masquerade hiding the truth. So at the time of the album releasing, he was actually working on a Tom Jones album, and Masquerade has a suitably weird lineup of features. He's got MOP on here, but he's also got Butch Cassidy and Tom <laughs> Jones himself and uh, Geo Washington. You know, it's just it's all over the shop, man. And I think it's a joy. Yeah. Like, genuinely, <laughs> listening to Wyclef's discography over the last couple of weeks has been so much fun. He's moving away from rap at this point in career further and further. And if you were to just land yeah. in, 20, in, sorry, in 2002 with Wyclef, you might be a little bit confused as to why he's called a rapper even. Like, if you just started listening to this album, you'd be like, yeah, he's a singer, you know? And he pushes boundaries, man. Knocking on Heaven's Door. I thought it was Stairway to Heaven. That's my bad. It's Knocking on Heaven's Door that he did. Um, it did not need a cover. That song doesn't need a cover. But it's a strong track. It's, it's a decent track. Pussycat is a horror. It's strong. It's clear. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not bad. Pussycat, Pussycat with Tom Jones. That's horrible. Horrible. I've never liked a Tom Jones song in my I'm life. Good. I don't see him as yeah. a musician. I almost see him as an AI creation creating like the most banal <laughs> pop songs in history. Oh, chill out, chill out, chill out. Not, not a Tom Jones fan, but you know. I'm, the National Treasure. Yeah, well, about. you can, you can keep that one. You can keep that National Treasure. <laughs> that was it, man. That's Masquerade. That's his third album. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, don't like, I don't like Tom Jones music either, but I do respect the fact that I don't know how old he it's is now, but he's something, but he's still got pipes. He's still got to pipes. To be loved by anyone. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. I can't. I can't hate the pipes, bro. I can't. Yeah. He's got. He's still got. He's still got it. So I can't. I can't hate. Um. Yeah. Weird. It's and I guess this is the. This is the. This is the risk, isn't it? When you are constantly reinventing, and when you're constantly trying to create just new sounds, and when you're constantly just trying to keep it fresh. You're gonna run into a roadblock, and while I wouldn't, while I wouldn't give this the kind of review that uh, Robert Criscow gave on Rolling Stone, uh, where he finishes it, <laughs> he finishes it off with an absolute fucking dart. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, where, where, where shall I start? And because Wycliffe uh, is a bit of a bit soft, even if hard, say so. His attempts to address big issues flop on Knocking on Heaven's Door, rewrite about the hood and the World Trade Center, an anti-war song that asks, when will the violence cease? And saddest of all, a threnody, is that what you say? Threnody? I've never heard that word, but threnody for his dead dad. Hate to say it, dog, but Mia X did it better. Ooh. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Why did he call him? And it's true, though. <laughs> like, I didn't even, when I saw it, I was like, 
Right, he's yeah, right. But so, just... that's not fair. That's not a fair thing to say. Like he, it's not, it doesn't it's matter not, how well not, you do it's, it. It's about the message. <laughs> it's like the funeral was great, but I've true. been to better funerals. Like, okay, chill. <laughs> that's not something that needs to be critiqued. <laughs> like, just relax. I've been to better funerals. Oh, Fuck you gosh. Know. oh gosh. that's rough. The, the, for, as a minor tangent, fun fact about the funerals I've been to, which, I, which is only I can only say about two or three um they have all had the best food i've ever had in my life (laughs) which is so it doesn't make sense but i remember the funerals obviously for the funeral aspect of it but also because the food afterwards was fucking slapping absolutely top tier anyway i need to get that i need to get that catering's number because i have a feeling it was the same catering but i need to get that number anyway um yeah, Pussycat, I'm good on that. Thank you. That rhymed. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, you know, I didn't mind the kind of the end of the album from Knocking on Hammer's Door onwards. I didn't. I wasn't really. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. War no more. I was into it. I was. I wasn't too. I uh, wasn't too uh, out of that. Um, uh, PJs was decent. I didn't mind PJs. Uh, you say keep it gangster. You know, there's a there's just a mixture here of I guess messaging. And I feel like that's probably where a lot of people uh, just come out of this in a, in a weird way, uh, feeling weird, because it starts off with a lot of energy. Um, and it just goes up and down, up and down. He's talking, dying from this subject to the next. Um, but I guess, uh, I guess that just comes down to, like, I mean, production as well is just how, you know, it goes from something so heavy like, you know, uh, like PJs and then stuff like Daddy is just, <laughs> it's just, a, it's a, it's a wild ride that I don't think people were really uh, expecting and I really weren't into, obviously, as it, as it gathers, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, uh, it, it, it hits and misses when it comes to the when it comes to the covers and when it comes to the sampling as well. It can be hit and miss, and it happens again and again over the career. Less so in the later end, last stages. Thank fuck, because uh, yeah, Masquerade is just one of those where I see I see the vision, but it just did wasn't executed that well to mm. me. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. What's next, uh, Preacher's Son? <laughs> I didn't really I didn't really know what was the point I guess of this album I, I, I didn't feel a particular concept or it just felt like I want to work with these, uh, these this set of people and I'm just going to do that Um, so you know again and this is probably the most feature packed name, from name recognition this is probably the most packed album out of the bunch uh, Carlos Santana, Redman, Missy Elliott, Patti LaBelle, Wayne Wonder, Monica, Elephant Man, uh, Scarface, Prodigy, Ra Digger, Bougie Banton. Uh, that's a lot of names. <laughs> that's a lot of decent fucking names. So you think the album would be good. And it's fine. But it's just, I, I didn't really know what the overall vibe was supposed to be. It's a bit of a confusing one to listen to. Um, it just... It's kind of like Masquerade Part 2 for me. But with Masquerade, at least there was like a an aim for most of the tracks. 
again, I just feel like a lot of these tracks were just because were just that I wanted to work with I wanted to work with Carlos Santana, so I'm gonna do a track that Carlos Santana would probably like. And then I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a bop with Missy Elliott. So here's a bop with Missy Elliott. As individual tracks, I guess that most of them are pretty fine, but as an album as that goes for sixty five minutes, I kind of just got a bit fatigued by the end of it. Um but you know, some people consider this a return to form, so a whatever. And it, I mean, I guess it is. It's better than Masquerade. So factually, if we're saying which one's better, then yes, the Preacher Son is the Preacher Son is a little bit better, um, but still not to the heights of the first two albums, in my view. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, to be fair, the middle albums all kind of run together for me. They don't run together because they're very unique in their own way, and they have such like vibrant sounds. Like you never know where he's going to go next, but. I just I was just on a quality binge, man. I was just listening to this like this is good. These are all good. I like all these albums. So we get to his 2004 album, Welcome to Haiti. Um, it was released on Kosh or Co- How, what did we say the other week? It was <laughs> Coke or something. Coke. Coke re- released on Co- Coke Kosh rap- Records. So it's very independent. You can say Koch if you like, bro. If I'm just, I'm just saying. When you said Coke the last time, I know for a fact the name was Coke. But you can say Koch. I'm I don't care. Kidding. It's it's a it's a defunct record company that's probably been eaten into another record company into oh, another yeah. record company. I, mean, I don't so think it exists anymore. But I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let's let's look it up. M N R K Music oh, yeah. Group. Oh, Monarch. Formerly known as Coke Records and E1 Music. Brilliant. I mean, E1. We go. We've probably done this before. We literally did oh, this like go. two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. Acquisition of E1 by Hasbro and then taken into Blackstone. Yeah, we literally did yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> did you manage to get to this? Because I couldn't find one. I yeah, couldn't find a place I, to listen uh, to. I think I listened to it on um, on YouTube. This just tends to be a place. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't, find, I couldn't find I couldn't find. it. Fair enough. Yeah, this is, this is a weird album. So... It, his oh, long-time okay. collaborator Jerry Duplessis said about constructing a changing soundscape on which Wyclef just skates, skates alongside Buju Banton, Foxy Brown, Sound Sultan, Two-Face. The penultimate track, Proud to Be African, is one of the best tracks in his discography, I feel. It's, it's incredible. Haitian Mafia with Foxy Brown, brilliant song. Um, also houses one of his greatest moments, which is President. Now, this this track took on a life of its own globally. It didn't chart like brilliantly, but in Australia, for example, the narrative around the song, because this is the first time I ever heard Wyclef outside of the Fugees, this, this particular song. And it's 04, so, you know, I was 16, 17. Um, but, yeah, we, we felt in Australia, everyone thought that he was putting his case forth to be the president of the United States because we kept seeing this song on our TVs and being used in skits and st- <laughs> satirical pieces as a critique of George Bush because, obviously, in Australia... Everyone was just oh, shitting right, yeah. on George Bush in 04. Like, he was just getting eviscerated. Yeah. So Wyclef yeah. comes along, and, you know, we just see him as an American artist, which is horribly reductive and, and, like, just not the right, like, thing at all. Like, he would be very against sure, that. And if you sure. watch interviews with him, he talks about just being from everywhere, all his different backgrounds and how he inhabits them all, and they're all part of his identity. So for us, the stupid idiots in Australia are like, oh, he must be running for president of the United States because that's about as far as the discourse can go. But that song was massive, man. It was so, so big. Um, and, you know, 
the this album the welcome to hate the album came after the 2004 hurricane uh which killed a staggering 1870 people in haiti and it plunged the country into turmoil and wyclef said this to hip-hop dx he said the thing about haiti is a lot of times things happen in haiti and they say haiti in turmoil where in haiti People don't know how many different cities there are in Haiti. I think that that's the new Haiti and the new message I'm trying to promote. It could be violence in Port-au-Prince, but you can still go and chill on the beach and cool out. People need to be educated. When I was growing up, I didn't have problems. I was poor, I didn't have clothes, but I was free. I could walk down the street whatever time of night. I could go on the mountain and just chill. I didn't have to worry about someone kidnapping me. That kind of freedom doesn't exist anymore. How do we get Haiti back to a safer place? That's what we're working on now. And that's why I feel Wyclef and Lauren succeeded as solo artists because they could both create beautiful concept albums and drag you into a narrative and a story. And that quote above is the embodiment of this album. It's the beauty but the destruction, you know, the calm that's informed by the tension. And he told Hip Hop DX, I got inspired by Haiti, but most of the album was recorded here, but the rhythms of Haiti. It all comes from the rhythms of Haiti mixed with the hip hop that I learned in New York City and the reggae that I learned from Jamaica. And in Haiti, you have the Haitian side and the Dominican side, which was really one thing at one time. So there are Haitians who speak Spanish. That's why we have Spanish on there, the La Bamba joint. But I've also got people in my family that's from the Dominican Republic. So he's talking about all the different like directions that this album goes in. And, you know, that could be that could be said of all his albums. Like there I feel like there's a there's a moment in, in time in why like when he does these fusions and these different like steps into genres, I don't see it as I don't know what the right word is. Like I don't see it as cynical. I don't see him as doing it because he's gonna hit get a hit song, because that genre's hot right now, because that sounds no. hot right now. No. Yeah. Every single sound Wyclef's yeah. ever done in his career, there's a reason for it. There's a part of his history. There's a point in his history. There's a point in his background where that song came from. And that's why I think it always feels so organic listening to his albums. I'm not sitting there being like, oh, he's ma mashing up this and this. This is such a cash grab. This is so annoying. I never feel that way with Wyclef. I'm always like, oh, shit, I wonder where this came from. Like, I wonder what part of his history this song comes from. So... Yeah, man, this is this is a brilliant album. I, I place this alongside the carnival for me. This is this is next to it. Okay. Um, I wouldn't place Carnival Two on there. <laughs> no, this is not his best album. That's for sure. Um, that's just that's kind of the thing, bro. When it comes to when it comes to Cliff, because I'm just like I I get it. Um, but this is an album that kind of epitomizes my hesitancy. Sometimes when listening to Wycliffe and just because uh, this this probably goes so this album goes so far out of its way to be you know one of those one of those globe trotting albums that you know takes out from here it takes out from there it takes out from everywhere and bring artists from here there and everywhere right and they just he just smashes them together and you know magic happens right. But I'm trying to. I'm, I was listening to this with a fun fact. Six versions of these of this album is on Tidal, which is probably the most versions of any album I have ever seen in my life. Um, I was just. I was like, why is there six <laughs> versions of this album on Tidal right now? Why am I seeing it six times? It's actually stupid. Um, of why there's so many. Maybe there's some jazz albums that um that can rival it. Uh, you know, buying remastering and just other elements. I'm sure there's probably one with more, but 
I can't believe I saw six versions and I was trying to pick out the one that was just the, you know, regular studio album. I'm just like, okay, this one has two videos. This one's split into two volumes. This one has commentary. I'm just, oh, fuck, you know, so much. Remember uh, commentary? So Remember commentary anyway. was a thing? That was a wild time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Album, good old album commentary. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. interesting. There's, there's a few albums I've actually done that before, but I've actually indulged in it. But yeah, it's it's mainly it's not really much. It's like them talking about it uh, every song yeah. for like a minute. It was maybe a Tuesday, less. and it's... our guitar was out of tune, <laughs> so that's what happened. Next song. Yeah, I just I just came in and I just started writing. You know, it was just it just happened. You know, and then then the music the song starts. I'm like, oh, thanks, outstanding. Uh yeah, outstanding uh input. Anyway, yeah, back to my point. Um, it's just it's oh here here we go. Is this a quote? It, this can't be a quote. Hang on, I'll never just read this. But anyway, uh, as I read it, but it's just yeah, it just it, it, I guess it's I guess it's a one step too far for me when it comes to sounds. Like you know, obviously he's invested in so much fusion of whatever sounds, but I just feel like this was just a lot. And it didn't really, it just ended up being a mishmash of just things. And it was like every track's different, but it's not exactly the best thing about it. Oh, and this is a quote. Um, fucking hell, right. Tilting it, the Carnival 2 was down to the Carnival, uh, was down to the Carnival back in 97, being my first multicultural CD. Had rhythms from all over the world. And in that way, it is this new record is the sequel. You know, there's a revolution of culture going on around the world today where the United Nations is everywhere. Uh, you go into a room and everybody's from a different country. It's like we're all immigrants. Some of these people may be listening to Bangra, some to hip-hop and some to rock. And when you put that fusion together, it unites people through music. Yeah, it's 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 giving it's giving uh will I am uh vibes, you know what I mean? It's just it's just like chill yeah, out. Yeah, Wyclef's I get it, I, I get what you mean. Wyclef will I am not putting them on the same Wyclef's. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not. I know, I know, I know, I know. And as soon as I made that, I was like, he's not, he's not, he's not gonna agree with me. But just okay, let me cook, let me land. Um, I while I do agree with you, we have kind of just bashed this point home, uh, throughout the episode that. He does it in a way that's good faith, and Will I Am does not do it in good faith. <laughs> he just doesn't. Yeah, that's uh, I, I just yeah. We we if you if you know you know. Um, but I still it can be good faith and still not hit. And this is the album that just doesn't hit for me. Um, why why what is this slow down with Ti? Why 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 is Ti? Yeah, the Ti thing it's was so random. random. It's so random. I like Fast Car with Paul Simon. That was a very interesting pick. Yeah, that was um, a weird one. But then you have Chameleon Air on Hollywood yeah. Meets Bollywood. No, I like, what I like that one, man. I'm, I've been on a Chameleon Air. No, no. You know why no. I said... We... Ben's blinded. Ben's blinded uh, by the Chameleon I was like, Chameleon Air. Love, love fest. He's That's right. I love Chameleon Air. He loves yeah, his Chameleon Air. He's been banging to me. Chameleon Air recently. <laughs> banging to you, I guess. Um... Yeah, it's just it's just weird. Uh, Mary J. Blige on What About the Baby was very fascinating. I actually like that track. I'm actually oh god, sweetest girl. Fuck. That's the single man. Why did that sound like that's why did one. that remind me of Just a Dream with Nelly? It was. Why does that remind me I of know, Nelly? that's what I thought the same, but Just a Dream oh, came out oh, later so than weird, that. Isn't it? 
Just a Dream. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. It's really weird. I, I, was, just, anyway. I was just hearing Just a Dream, but then it was just Akon shouting about money and Lil Wayne's on it for some reason. I was just like, oh, okay. Have you seen right, a clip sure. for it? It's, 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 it's a massive song, man. Um, yeah, well, yeah, from the from the amount of fucking writer credit series. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But um, King and Queen with Shakira, I've just, I've, I've, I've come to this conclusion for myself is I'm just not a fan of Shakira. That's just blasphemy. Um, just That's the worst never, thing you've never... ever said on this pod. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I just don't like ice cream, you know? Don't rate it. <laughs> and chocolate ice cream? What were they thinking? You say that, you say that, but my best, I was talking to my best mate like the other week and uh, we're talking about just, um, you know, stuff that we can have with family, but some things that we can't. So like... Me, me, my sister, and my mum have different types of like flavors of crisps we like, right? So we can't just get one flavor that we all like. But there are ice creams that we all like, and that's fine. And he was like, "I don't like ice cream." I was like, "What do you mean you don't like ice cream?" That's, just, that's, just me. that's a so, rough one. Yeah, not, 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 the, not, uh, yeah, not, not the biggest fan of Shakira for me personally. But dear, um, dear. yeah, and then, and then the 13, 30, 30 minutes. Uh, 13 minutes, 29 seconds of Touch Your Touch Button. Touch Your Button. I mean, that's 13 minutes. It's not going to be quick, is it? You got to, It takes time. <laughs> <laughs> to shout Touch Your Button uh, 20 million times. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I respect it. I understand touch it. Touch many a button in charge. Charlie's touched many a button in his time, but it's, there's no more button yes. touching. Button what? touching like, time what? is done. What? what? <laughs> Too much button touching on this song. Stop touching the buttons. I just keep hearing, just keep hearing touch your button. I'm just like, how many times can you say this in my brain? Stop it. <laughs> Give it a rest. We get it. Just fucking, just let the music play, bro. Just let the music play if that's what you want to do. But stop saying touch your button. Stop. <laughs> oh, dear. I beg you. 13 minutes and 13 seconds. Are you taking the piss? <laughs> Oh my fucking days! Unbelievable! I can't believe this got so many good reviews out of it. I'm sorry. It's just it's uh, it's fine in it's, it's, well, it's fine in concept, but execution was just way too much. It was like it was it's like going to a. I don't. How do you eat a buffet, bro? Like when you go to a world buffet, do you actually go to every country and just throw it on the plate? Because no. that's not no, exactly exactly. This is literally you grab a plate and you get some naan. And then you get some, put some spaghetti on it, and then you put some, put a barbecue rib on it, Shit. and then you put some uh, uh, horseradish on Wild it. Wild plate. And then you, and then and then you put some Brazilian beef brisket oh, yeah. on the side, and then you get some garlic bread. Yeah. Uh, paste that over with some fucking, uh, 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 fucking uh, uh, Spanish salsa. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Just pick a country. Eat your fucking food. Like. <laughs> I don't know where I'm taking this. But <laughs> you're you're acute. You're you're reaching Wycliffe for being too sport. eclectic. That's where you're taking this. Uh, yeah, yeah, too eclectic, bruv. I get it. I respect it. Like, but I'm not trying to hear Chameleonaire on some Bollywood. No, nah, I'm sorry. Be silly. It's just not gonna work. It's just not gonna work. That's it's not just, fair. It's not working. Sorry. A... You missed. You missed, bro. I'm sorry, and it's fine. You missed. It's fine. Just. Stop giving me 13 minutes of someone shouting in touch your button in 20 languages. Fuck's sake. <laughs> well, there you go. Charlie, Charlie, not the, not the biggest fan of that album. 
size. This turned into more of a rat than I thought it'd be, but I feel like he just goaded me into it. So. Yeah, because I wanted to rile you up. You, you're always good when you get in, get up ahead of steam. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, carnival. Then we get from the from the hut to the projects to the mansion, uh, which is very interesting. Very interesting. It's a gangster grills tape. It's a great example of Wycliffe gangster. reconnecting with his rap heritage. He even created an alter ego. Uh, Toussaint St. Jean and he told Hip Hop DX it's a big deal because I stopped everything and just went back to rhyming the past six months I felt like it was important to pause and do this before moving on this is my payback to hip hop no matter what level you see me get to without this level I would never have been who I am so it's a big deal and you know to that end we get Timberland Eve Lil Kim Mano I mean we get Cindy Lauper on here as well which is an interesting turn it's very solid you know I think by this point in his career, he'd become almost more of a political spokesperson than a musician, and we'll talk about that in a second. But interviews with him basically from 2004 onwards focus heavily on his you know, political opinions and what was going on in Haiti at the time. So, um, you know, it, it, like I think the album's decent. Um, there's one track on here I can't. There's two tracks, actually. Uh, maybe it's more bottles that I don't like. Warrior's Anthem's pretty good. That's a good track. Uh, it's, it's, it's all right. Suicide Love with Eve's not that great. I didn't really enjoy that. Gangsta Girl with Lil Kim, I thought oh. was was pretty solid. The Mano track was all right. Um, it was nice to hear Mano. I was like, oh yeah, fuck, that's Mano. Like that's sick. So, yeah, man, interesting project. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's not not top tier. Wyclef at this point, we're starting <laughs> to descend at this point. Um. For some reason on the Wikipedia, yeah, this is the weird. Smoked a billionaire track. It says Luscious Lulu. Why is Cindy Lauper called Luscious Lulu? Anyway, yeah, I don't um, know. Side note, side note. But anyway, um, uh, it's fuck Timberland until further notice. Um, so I mean, it should have been that for a long problems. time. He really, he had a lot of credit in the bank, <laughs> didn't he? We didn't realize how much credit he had in the bank Bro, until it ran out. His credit score was so fucking high. <laughs> Oh my gosh, crazy how he just, just fucking out. went from credit score 900 to like fucking 200. Just kept withdrawing, overdrawing 20. that account. Yeah, he just, he's, just, he's just making a lot of uh, checks, his mouth can't cash. Um, but yeah, uh, Suicide Love with Eve literally reminded me of the album Lip Lock that she made. Oh, that was yeah. just like super fucking synthy and dancey and made me want to cry. Straight up unlistenable. It literally felt like it should have been on that album instead. Yeah. And Wyclef just said, can I have it for my Why album? Because Eve just had Eve just had way too much. She was like, oh, I can't use this track. Oh, can I put it on my album? Sure, go for it. Like, How that conversation hell, go? Like... Give, yeah, that happened. That's exactly how that conversation went, I guarantee you. <laughs> it's just, I'm a fly that will guarantee. Um, I like the I like the overall uh, kind of nod to um, Toussaint Louverture. I've probably bowled that, but you know Toussaint, um, obviously the Haitian general leader of the Haitian Revolution. Um, I like the history linkage uh, towards that. Past that is literally just a you know, kind of just a gangster grills with Wycliffe on it. Um, and uh, he does his best to keep that, to keep that thing going, to keep that uh, consistent through line of the, you know, Haitian general alter ego thing going. Tucson versus Bishop's decent as well. Uh, Letter from the Pen, probably one of my favorite tracks overall. 
by the shotters as well as a finish. Um, but yeah, um, just, I don't know. Yeah, it's just um, it's fine. It's cool. May know okay. Eve not. Lil Kim not. <laughs> Timberland get get fucked. Both half of that. Yeah. It's okay, I guess. Well, then we get the next project, which is well, I want to Carnival Three. Yeah, talk about talk about Yay. Carnival Three. Then I'm going to talk about some stuff. Had to had to have a third Carnival, didn't we? Can 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 stick here too. Had to had to reclaim had to reclaim the name. Uh, Jesus Christ. But anyway, um, mercifully much more short. Um, than overall, just a you know twelve tracks, forty science, yeah, forty two minutes. Um. I get I got mixed up between Warrior on the previous album and Warrior on this one because just the same names and then the Shotter and then Shotter Boys on here. A little bit confusing, but um, past that, it's pretty solid. Um, can't complain too much about it. Uh, only tracks I didn't really like were more to the finish. Uh, Traffic Cabana, ugh, just not into that particular beat. Um, did my fella Cootie Shotter Boys was decent, Double Dutch decent. Uh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I I I, just, I, I feel like it's a bit. I guess uh, doesn't really doesn't really give the essence of Carnival in terms of the series a series of albums, right? It didn't feel like a third edition of it. It just feels like an album that he made. And just decided to fuck it, call it Carnival Free. Didn't really have much, uh, yeah. Didn't didn't really have much link to it. There's actually a, a quick quote here um, from one of the reviews, a more negative critique here from Mister Wavy of Cult MTL, whatever, whatever that is, um, calling it quote a cheap nostalgia cash in. <laughs> and while I wouldn't go that far. I would say if this was named anything other than Carnival Free, it probably would have gotten no no spins at all um, because it just doesn't really give off anything that resembles the Carnival series to me. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it wasn't my favourite. I listened to it and it just, it just turned into a bit of a mess. You know, it just turned into a real bit of a mess. But uh, I want to ask this before I move on to the next thing. If... Who would you say, Charlie, is the before we even started this Fuji series, before we did anything, who would you have said is the most controversial member of the Fujis? Before we did anything on Praz or Wyclef? Um so whenever we did the Fuji's episode, so what's that? Twenty twenty, I'm guessing. Um, uh, because I would have uh, like like before, before Praz got involved in the One MDB, I would have probably said Clef just because. Uh, well, the Clef controversy is more tight, is just as tied to Lauren, um, but because Lauren is such a uh, what what do we call her unicorn figure um, in that one, one episode we did with her and Andre, because she's that mythic figure, um, everything that she does is kind of just talked about. So whenever she does a show and she's late, everyone's bitching and moaning about it. Uh, whenever there's a song drop in with a feature on her, feature of hers, everyone's talking about it. So I feel like probably the answer's her. But then again, she isn't. She, oh, she has been done in for like tax evasion. I don't think uh, you know international bankrolling is uh, <laughs> something that she uh, she's been doing. So 
at this point, I'll say Pras, but before the one MDB scandal, I probably would just said Lauren just because people cared about Lauren and people didn't really care about Wycliffe that much unless they're in the music industry. So, yeah. Well, that's a wild thing to me because, you know, I think she's the least controversial member, especially after what we're about to talk about. But I always felt like she was the one who attracted the ire. You know, I always felt like the situation around the debut album and the crediting, for example, her withdrawal from the public eye, her inability to turn up to her own shows on time. I think that that people were like, she's the most inflammatory, controversial, the one who's been in the most, you know. And I'm looking at that stuff now in retrospect after the IMDB stuff and the or 1MDB, whatever it was, with Praz and what I'm about to talk about with Wycliffe. I'm like, she's a distant third. She's a distant third. So Wycliffe started this uh, not-for-profit organization called Yellow Haiti back in, I think it was 2002, 2003. Now, it was designed to raise money and support his home country during some of the worst and most tumultuous times it was going through. The goal was to provide funding for... Oh, I can see where this is Yeah, going. the goal was to provide funding for schools, food, other charitable donations for Haitian citizens using Wycliffe's mm. epic star power to drive donations. Now, in 2004, the catastrophic earthquake uh-huh. hit the country and Yella stepped up. It provided aid where it could to school children and local communities. And the organization continued to operate throughout the 2000s, although it didn't actually file any tax returns from 2005 to 2009, which is a fact that was criticized heavily when it was revealed. Now, in 2010, a horrific earthquake struck Haiti, one so bad that in 2017, seven years after, the UN estimated a further 2.5 million Haitians were still in need of aid seven years after. The death toll ranged from 100,000 at the lowest end to a staggering 316,000 at the top end of the estimates. It was a horrible tragedy that caused nearly $9 billion worth of damage to a country already struggling on the poverty line. So Wycliffe's Yellow Haiti was perfectly positioned to offer assistance. It had been growing steadily throughout the 2000s, but it yet to really break through into the mainstream consciousness. All of that changed after the earthquake, with Wycliffe seeing himself uniquely placed to raise desperately needed money for his home country, which is very fair. Now, Wycliffe's power was immediately apparent after he raised an epic $1 million in 24 hours via a couple of tweets. He just tweeted out a couple of links. They still exist. You can go search them. And, you know, it got shared heaps, and he raised a $1 million in 24 hours. Um... The publicity of this action helped Wycliffe move into other areas. He took part in an MTV donation drive, and then he enlisted George Clooney for a telethon entitled Hope for Haiti Now, which became the most watched telethon in history at the time. It's alleged by some corners that Yella Haiti raised a truly eye-watering $16 million in relief for the country, but things started to sour just a month after the disaster. In February 2010, people began to question the organization, uh, and the New York Times published a report stating that Yella obviously failed to file their tax returns from 05 to 09, and they referenced a smoking gun investigation, which alleged mismanagement of funds. And they also published the words of former executive director Sanjay Rawal, who questioned the foundation's ability to handle the magnitude of donations. So there's actually an entire swindled, it gets worse, there's an entire swindled episode on Yellow Haiti. If you're unaware, Swindled is a podcast by a concerned citizen who exposes scandal and nefarious behavior in corporations and occasionally individuals. In the episode, um, he's absolutely scathing of Wycliffe. He heavily references a 2012 New York Times article by Deborah Sontag, which details the extent to which Wycliffe is alleged to have dipped into the funds raised for his own personal use. I'll read out some of the accusations 
But first I wanna read out Wyclef's defense argument found in his own memoir. He said he didn't need to take money from the fund because he has a watch collection worth $500,000. That's his, that's his response to what I'm about to read out. So the accusations are, sorry, in illegitimate benefits to Wyclef and other yellow board members, including 24K for Wyclef's own chauffeur, $31,000 to fly Lindsay Lohan to a fundraising event, $100,000 Wyclef paid to himself to perform at his own fundraiser in Monaco, 125K on a 60 Minutes report around Wyclef's mission to help people in Haiti, 58K flying Matt Damon and other celebrities to Haiti. This was all before the earthquake in 2010, by the way. So in 2010, Yeller spent a staggering $9 million in travel, salaries, consultant fees, and accommodation. So that's $9 million that did not go to charitable you know, organizations or charitable endeavors. $1.4 million in office-related expenses, including $375,000 for landscaping. For landscaping. This is a not-for-profit organization, remember that. $37,000 Wyclef paid to his own recording studio, and they spent four hundred seventy dollars on their own food and beverages. This is a not-for-profit organization, remember. In one year, $470,000. They spent money on projects that never happened, ninety-three dollars on houses that were never built, $146,000 on a medical center that was never built, $230K on improvements to a plaza that never happened. So all up, that's $2.4 million that they've spent, and they have nothing for it. So Wyclef's brother-in-law actually collected $630,000 for himself for projects that included the medical center and the plaza. Then they didn't deliver a bunch of the product, the, the promises that they said they were gonna deliver. You know, there were meals that they were meant to do, there were orphanages they were meant to support, which they didn't do. There's a lot of freaking problems. You know, Swindled even claimed that Wyclef paid his personal assistant, who was alleged to be his mistress, $100,000 in salary, which is three times that of the managing director of Yellow Haiti. And Swindled also accused him of paying 250 grand to his own TV network in Haiti to advertise. So Wyclef obviously responded to these, this, these accusations with just straight up dismissals. He said, I started the charity with my own funds. Have we made mistakes before? Yes. Did I ever use that money for personal benefits? Absolutely not. I do not cry for myself, I cry for them. You know, the president of Yellow Haiti attempted to shed some light on what was happening behind the scenes. He said, in trying to figure out how to use the funds, we had to decide at that time to reach out to Wyclef's companies because we could get a better deal with them than anywhere else. I would not say that represents our finest in terms of transparency, but it was done in an attempt to be efficient. So the New York Attorney General investigated the organization and found that they had spent $9 million of the 16 million they had collected on personal expenses, on Yellow Haiti expenses. So the AG offered a settlement to Wyclef that required a payment of $600,000 in restitution, asking the organization to submit to a full audit, which Wyclef refused, and Yellow Haiti was shut down. And Wyclef saying in his own book he didn't need to spend Yellow Haiti's money on his own expenses because he has a $500,000 watch collection, which is seems counterintuitive to me. You know, if they, I don't know, like, I don't know. 
you know, Yella Haiti did a lot of good in the country. There's no, absolutely no doubt in that whatsoever. But the role of an NGO is not to be the cool, hip, happening hub for interesting people wanting to help out. Its sole purpose should be the safe and fair administering of donations. And, you know, if that's true, Yellow Haiti failed. And so that's, I'd put all that in because I think it's very important. And like, as I say, before these episodes, if you'd asked me who the most controversial member of the Fugees was, I'd say Lauren. Nowadays, I'm just like, no, not even remotely close. It's Praz number one, Wycliffe number two, Lauren is like a distant third. <sighs> yeah, so uh, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's the fuck, that's the fuck ton. Like going from the, you know, the Hope for Haiti telethon and all that stuff. It, it's just, it's what, it's the, it's the worst thing that, it, it's, it's the worst thing to have somebody that, um, build something and has that intention uh but then just completely kills all credibility um by just doing dumb shit that i feel like is just really unnecessary like you're not you're not running out of cash geese like, i don't i don't get it i don't i don't get why uh why people just keep using uh their own uh, foundations, whatever it is, just for their own gain. It's just uh, it's just grimy to be honest. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, it, it's, it's it's it. Look, it's it's funny because he did it. He didn't and asked me anything on Reddit like five years later, and <laughs> he got scorched, man. Like people were. I I didn't realize people were so passionate about this and so you know intense on this, but people just came in and eviscerated him in that. Apparently, according to the the New York Times article I read, they were scorching him over it. You know, and it's just not a narrative you hear very often. Like I don't hear people talk about that very often about what happened with Yellow Haiti. But anyway, that's that was that. I mean, it, that wasn't the end of his career. Obviously, Wyclef's just bounced back totally fine. He was in a bunch of TV shows: Thirty Rock, The Apprentice, Law and Order, SVU. Popped up in an episode of Hell's Kitchen. Um, and then his final album so far, uh, which is Wyclef Goes Back to School. And there's not much to say about this. It's his weakest album. It's, it's not much. You know, Faded Butterfly, Page Six. These are horrible, horrible songs. When a Rose Dies, A Woman's Smoke. These are just bad songs. Um, yeah, it's a weird one because it kind of feels like he's just with, withdrawing or retreating or like going into real, you know, it, it almost feels like the Praz EP that dropped like Wave Culture or whatever it was called in 2018, like unlistenable. <laughs> and that's what this is. This is pretty close to unlistenable. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's, that's Wyclef. That is Wyclef. That is Wyclef, yeah. Interesting app. Interesting indeed. All right, let's finish off there. And uh, hobby to a liner. If you have anything, uh, no, not really, not really anything. You're not, you're not providing a guard of honor for Manchester City. Mm. Oh, this is ridiculous. This is this is the thing. So <laughs> they're gonna ban Ivan Tony for eight months, but Man City are just like, yeah, no, you can go win the Champions League and the Premier League, even though you've got all these charges laying over your head. Don't worry about it. Just go and spend another billion dollars on players. My dad texted me after the Real Madrid game, and he said you. I know you don't like them, but you got to admit, they play good football. And I texted him back. I said, it's like watching an AI generated. It's like like playing FIFA on the hardest level and saying, oh, it's beautiful. Watch them play. Like, no, it's been constructed artificially. It doesn't count. You can't. 
And, you know, again, my dad said, well, you got to give Pep credit. Like, you know, he there were a lot of egos in that room. I said, no, 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 Man City have so much money that as soon as an ego becomes a problem, they just sell that player and they just pay $200 million for another player and bring that player in. That doesn't count. That's not development. You're not developing a team. You're just spending as much fucking money. We've all done it on FIFA. The first time we played FIFA, we put in some sort of crazy cheat that gave us billions of dollars. And we just went around and bought fucking Mbappe and all the best players. And then we came back. <laughs> and did you sit there and feel like you were doing something like really great when you beat all the other teams in the Premier League after you'd bought all their best players? No. You sat there and you're like, well, of course I fucking won. I've got all the best players. There's no... So, no, I'm not interested in Man City. I don't want to hear about them. I don't want to watch them play. I'm not interested in, in watching that. It's, it's useless. There's no one on the planet who can challenge them because they just keep buying everyone's best players. It's just like, bro, no, no thank you. Much rather watch Tottenham. <laughs> um, yeah, just, I'd rather watch Tottenham. Outstanding. Um, but yeah, the funny thing about uh, today was that... Um, Calvin Phillips started the Chelsea oh, game. Oh, he actually played, did he? Another player that they just <laughs> stole from another team and then just sat on the bench for like... That's that's the worst thing about it. And I say that as a person that follows Chelsea. Like the 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 the, 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 the hoovering of, you know, good players from, you know, not, uh, not stupidly rich teams. Like... Declan Rice supposedly played his last West Ham game today. Oh, who's right? he going to? And it's gonna, it's fuck, fuck no. It's probably like either, probably either like Liverpool Menu or some somewhere. Or Bayern, I don't know. I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the gas uh, about it. I'm sure there'll be like uh, many, many teams that go for go for him, and also for like Jude Bellingham and that. Um, but anyway, you know, just having that is just, and obviously the overall sense to you know the Premier League. Uh, itself um, buys up all the best players from everywhere, um, and you know the other the other leagues just can't keep up as a whole. Um, it's 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 kind of a wonder that just uh, the only Man City are just uh, are, are the dominant species here, and they're the dominant species on the dominant league species. If that makes any sense, so it's just like a double up. But um, yeah, like like I said, Calvin Phillips is just this. The, the dude was the dude was starting for England a couple of years ago. Like, and obviously, even if he was playing now and putting in games week on week, it'd be debatable now because you know England team has like Declan Rice and obviously Bellingham's coming to the frame. Uh, fuck it, Mason Man has been, hasn't been playing all, most of the season for Chelsea anyway, so there's that. Um, but you know the midfield in England squad is kind of deep at this point. But even if Calvin Phillips was playing, um, which he hasn't, <laughs> it's just it's just funny how uh, you know he just started the Chelsea game after they you know sewn up the league. It's just it's things like that kind of just that's what puts me off. That's what puts me off football as a whole. It, it just um, but then again, you have stuff like um, I don't know how deep you watch. You know, uh, you probably just watch prem prem games, obviously, but. Um, in the EFL League One playoffs, there was a doozy of a fucking two a two legger uh, between um, uh, Peterborough and uh, Sheffield Wednesday, where Sheffield Wednesday was coming in, and I watched the first game with my pops, and they were coming in basically like just 
the best top scorers of the whole of the whole league, and you know Peterborough were like uh, 15 points behind them, but it was a playoff. So you think Sheffield Wednesday would drop them, right? Peterborough ended up winning four 0 in the first game, and then she- and everyone was like dead. They're dead. Sheffield Wednesday are dead. They're, they're, they're screwed, right? And then um, their uh, manager, uh, who's uh, I forget I forget boss man's name, but he's black, and he got like a bunch of racist abuse off the back of that for obvious reasons. Um, and and then they have the second leg, and they fucking come back, bro. They come back to to tie up four apiece, go into extra time, lose a golf to Peterborough, and then get one back, go to penalties, and then fucking win it. Like that's I don't watch football that often. But I'm really glad I watched those two games because that was like that was the magic. That was magical. Like just watching that because it was absolutely absurd. Everyone was putting in work, and then you watch Man City, and it's just like you said. It's like it's like going on Football Manager or FIFA and just rinsing the game for what it is and just making it easy for yourself and then just winning everything, right? And it feels good at first, but you know it's not. It's not like. It's not like, you know, how the nut jobs do on F- Football Manager where they go to a non-league team and then try and bring them to the Champions yeah. League. Like, obviously, that's what people do that's for the I grind. Do. That's <laughs> real work. Each to their own. I'm putting in that real work, man. <laughs> putting in, put in the real grind, right? But, um, yeah, that's there's differences in that, in that essence. Like, when you're watching League One football playoffs and, you know, there's just fucking eight goal thrillers over two legs and then... And then you're watching Man City just like the fuck, you know. Obviously, people talk about Arsenal bottling it, bottling it, and you know, I'm here for the jokes. It's funny, it's hilarious, right? Because they did bottle it. They did bottle it. They had the they were first place for majority of the season, and then when it actually came down to crunch time, they choked. Um, But it it always seemed like inevitability. So let's be real. It always seemed like inevitability. It's just like here comes Man City. It, can Arsenal keep up? It's like you know they were ten, they were like, what ten points down at one point. It still seemed like inevitability, and that's just what's a little bit jarring about, especially Premier League football. And I guess it's the case when you watch Barcelona and Real Madrid just be the top two in the La Liga every year. Um, the Italian league actually looks quite interesting from what Napoli, I see. Man. Obviously, like Napoli's already won it, but it does seem relatively interesting where they're at least like. Five teams. I think Juventus are fucked now financially. Inter. But you know, five teams that, are, that always have a chance yep. every season. You know, like Inter, AC, Roma, Napoli, and Juventus when they're not fucked. You know, and then German leagues by Munich and Dortmund and then everybody else. Well, so though. I don't know, man. It's just what you want in it. Like I feel, if you want proper football, um, you just go. I feel like you probably just have to go to like lower leagues and just watch those because when I watch the Premier League um, I just feel it's, there's something hollow about it sometimes and I say that as a person that you know follows Chelsea and you know acknowledge that Chelsea is like part, next to Man City are probably the um, second dog shit yes. uh, the dog shit um, here, here I am to ruin the entire and rig the entire system that is European football Um you know they're gonna, they're trying to do that. They're trying to do that now. They're going by the city model. They're gonna they're trying to buy teams from Brazil and Portugal, and go down that route as well. It's it's all fucked, and that is why I watch the NBA because because <laughs> it's, it's none of that for me. Like there's stupid conversations, 
but I'm fucking enjoying the NBA playoffs right now. Um, I don't watch every game because they're on at like one thirty in the morning, but it's so, so fucking good. It's so fucking great to watch. Um, but yeah, uh, stop watching football, guys. There's other sports. There's really other sports. Once Chelsea lost, I started watching athletics again. That's been really interesting so far um, in the outdoor season. Just get in some other sports, guys, please. I beg you. I I don't even watch cricket, but I fucking rather I'd rather watch cricket at this point. <laughs> just it's just a just for the hell of it, because it's just a uh, it's just a bit dead sometimes watching, especially Premier League football, because it's just I don't know. While there can be a few games here and there that are really mind blowing, performance individual performances where it's like ah oh, so gas this guy's good. <sighs> Man City in it. <laughs> it's like whatever's gonna happen. Death taxes, Man City winning. It's just it's You know what's wild? You guys fucking bought Kukureya as well. You you bought everyone. I'm looking at your squad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like Brighton are doing European football next year for the first time in their fucking club history. That's a cool story. That's a, That's a really story. cool story. And it's at the expense of Chelsea buying. That's Kukurea. hilarious. And also and taking us, Back um, Levi Cole, Levi Cole, Levi Colwell, who's on loan to Brighton at the moment. So th- we getting him back. <laughs> Have fun with that, Brighton. <laughs> Have fun with that big ass home defense. But you we know, did it's, the it's same just thing. It's just funny. Like when, when, even when Chelsea lose, they win in some way, and that's kind of just what happens when you when you're you know just Man U, Man City, Arsenal, and Chelsea. Um, you know, you may lose in the overall sense, but in the, in some sense, you just keep getting wins because you get are able to just, oh, okay, I'm just going to take the best striker in the league who just so happens to be in the bottom, uh, bottom half of the cl- uh, team, bottom half of the table club. Just take him for eight million, boom, done. I mean, just... <laughs> and then not play him. <laughs> it just happens over and over again. And you know, while I'm in, while I keep up with football relatively. Um, loosely, it's 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 kind of why it's not my favorite sport because there are just so many things about it that's just um really uh, obscene, <laughs> really obscene, and takes away from the quote unquote magic. I agree, well. I agree. Was that one big congratulation, begrudging congratulations no, to Man City? That was like saying Man City. <laughs> Here's a ten-minute soliloquy about why we hate no, you. They <laughs> Their victories don't count to me. I don't. I don't care. I'm not. I've no interest. I don't know how. And no offense, um, but I don't know. I don't know if I was a fan of a team before they got taken over and after they got taken over. I don't know how I would continue to turn up to the games and just watch us catapult everyone into the sun. Like so boring. Yeah. It's. It, it, you have to have a. You have to have a very deep deep sense of uh, uh cognitive dissonance like and i remember there was one clip where like um i think it was like robbie of AFTV was like talking to a man city fan and he was like you know i've i've been to the away games that um you know in the 80s and stuff like that i remember when we were second division and stuff like that like this is i would have never dreamed this and then i took my son to a champions league game and he was like and he was like you know just lukewarm about it and I'm like, what do you mean? This is Nirvana right now. So for those fans that are like, you know, that were through, because I remember Man City being I shit. I remember it too. <laughs> I do, I do. I have, a, I have a slight memory of Man City being shit. Um, you know, they were always just Man City, uh, Man United's little brother, you know, throughout, until basically 20, let's say 14. 
you know, that's what it was for all them years, all them decades. And now they have, let's just say, 10 years of consistent drubbing of everybody. And I get it. I, I get why I get why people will take it. And this is this is because we're just not that we don't we don't put football into like the number one of our identity. You know what I mean? You don't go Ben Carter Tottenham fan as the, as the first thing on your card, is it? I don't put Charlie Taylor Chelsea fan first thing. That's not my steez. Like there's there's ten things you probably would know about me before we even get to football, um, and that's just that's just it is what it is. But there are people that base their entire lives on being football fans um, and being a fan of a certain club. So if you're about that, fine, go for it. But objectively, it does water it down at minimum and at maximum completely disillusion you from from the concept of what sport is supposed to be. Um, a lot of gerrymandering. That's basically what it is. It's just a lot of gerrymandering. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's grimy. It's kind of like, like going to watch a TED Talk by the guy who won the lottery. And then just like, he's just like, yeah, so I won the lottery and then... I did all this stuff and you're sitting there like, okay, cool. But that's not relatable because we're not going to win the lottery. So you just get up and walk out. It's point. It's totally useless. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, no, it's, it's more, it's more like, it's more like those, um, it's more like those talks on YouTube or TikTok where, um, they're giving you tips on like how to get the billionaire's mindset. And then there's a quick <laughs> mention of yeah. have money. Like they don't say Inherit have money. money, but they mean that they're they're basically saying get money, and it's just sort of, well, okay, that's <laughs> that's that, I'm sorry, I don't have money, so uh, I don't know how I don't know how I'm gonna get to the rest of that. It's just like, oh yeah, you just gotta have a portfolio of you know two million dollars, and uh, and then you can then you can grind on your way to uh, uh to, you know to the billionaire's mindset. It's like hold up. What was that this first is actually really good because this is going to bleed directly into our episode next week. This is like, I can't explain right now, but this is literally fucking on brand for what we're going to talk about next week. It's perfect. <laughs> and with that said, we shall leave it there. So uh, you can smoothly move into the next episode if you're listening to this. Jump straight in. Jump right to the next one. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, from the 5th End Podcast Network, this this has been. It's been digging digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I've been Charlie Fifth Element. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. Uh, you can tell I just do too many pods, man. I'm just like constantly forgetting how to outro shit. I'm just like juggling outros in my head. We hope you all have a good week. Chris always, always coming the same. Fun until the next time. Take it easy, nice and gentle. All right, peace. Digging the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Pizza Video Games by Bonus Points. Thanks to your music for the ability to use. Socials for fulfillment, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and your music will be in the full show notes as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5 EPM production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.